We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today, wa-wa-wee-wa. Very nice. We are going to be talking, of course, about the Amazon Prime film, Borat, subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan, the sequel to 2006's cultural juggernaut, Borat, cultural learnings of America for make benefit glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about Borat's subsequent movie film? Sure. You know, this movie came as a shock to everyone that when commercials appeared that he was coming out with a new film, uh, really only weeks before it started streaming, uh, it was a surprise because he said in 2007 that he was retiring the Borat character. Um, Right. I was about to say it was the highly anticipated sequel, but I think I would have said that in 2007. Right now it was the, huh, there's a sequel to Borat (laughs) sequel. Uh, And especially because when he filmed the original movie in 06, uh, he was not recognizable. So part of the mockumentary comedic nature was that he was tricking people into thinking that he was this foreign journalist, the fourth best uh, journalist in all of Kazakhstan, and everybody recognized him now. So the movie actually begins with him being recognized, which leads Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen in character of Borat, to go into different characters in different costumes. He returns to America. Uh, for uh, a couple of reasons. The movie begins with him really imprisoned in a gulag because his uh, actions in the first film humiliated Kazakhstan. And so he promises to redeem the nation. He wants to bring a, a presence to President Donald Trump, in this case, the Minister of Culture, Johnny the Monkey, who ends up being eaten when this delivery of the monkey arrives in America by his daughter, Tutar, which plays on a lot of misogyny of that culture that he didn't even know he had a daughter. He didn't even talk to his daughter before. She was almost treated as cattle, as a farm animal. Kept in a barn. Because she was a woman, uh, which really speaks to how some parts of the world treat women and the patriarchy that exists in society and parts of the world. Just two quick Um, things before you go on with the the summary. Uh, First, uh, we should note for people that there are going to be spoilers in this conversation, as usual, as always. Um, if you don't want the movie, the surprises of the movie, which is half the fun spoiled for you, watch the movie first, then come back and listen to this. Although, of course, the internet has already spoiled some of the movie's biggest, boldest, and best surprises. So, you know, buyer beware. The second thing we'll say is that... Uh, um, the character of Borat's daughter, Tutar, um, is played by uh, a, a, an actress previously unknown to American audiences from Bulgaria uh, uh, named... Um, uh, named Maria uh, Bakalova. Yeah, Maria Bakalova, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, who has gotten rave reviews and will, I'm sure, be seeing lots more of her in years to come. Um, and while she is speaking a language that I was unfamiliar with, Um, maybe she was making it up. It's clear just as in the first movie when Sasha Baron Cohen is speaking his native language, he's actually speaking Hebrew as he is fluent in Hebrew. And so for those who are Hebrew speakers, um, there's a... Uh, another layer of humor that is happening when you understand what he's saying in Hebrew, which is sometimes similar to the subtitles and sometimes quite different. Um, So he begins in Texas and after Johnny the monkey is dead, he decides that he is going to give his 15-year-old daughter Tutar as a child bride to Mike Pence. Uh, But in order to do so, he has to give her a makeover. Uh, There's a scene at a debutante ball um, that is pretty graphic that involves menstrual blood. Um, He arrives at CPAC, 
which is one of the big conferences for conservatives in this country, describing, uh, disguising himself. It's as, like APAC, as Trump. but lesser. It's like APAC, <laughs> but a lower grade. And, and, and he, just, he, he, he eventually is ejected by security at Nothing CPAC. for that one? That no, wasn't good? No. Uh, I'm going to leave it in. And in then, uh, you know, the, the movie uh, along the way, Tutar becomes a Kazakhstani journalist herself or, uh, and she is going to uh, interview Rudy Giuliani. There is a scene that this is pretty public that it shows Rudy Giuliani potentially uh, masturbating or certainly fondling himself in a hotel room bed with her there before uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character Borat intervenes. Along the way, um, Borat goes to uh, a synagogue uh, where he meets with Holocaust survivors and um, he tries to convince them that the Holocaust is a lie because he, he shows them a Holocaust denial page on Facebook. Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg, for that. And he also uh, is in um, the North, Pacific Northwest in Olympia, Washington. Uh, and this is right at the beginning of quarantine. And he encounters two men on the streets um, in the middle of this pandemic and he can't understand why nobody's around and they tell him there's a pandemic. They welcome him into their home actually. And then um, they go to a March for Our Rights, this sort of right wing uh, rally that's taking place and where he goes on stage and speaks about such bigotry and misogyny and uh, anti-Semitism and everybody there is cheering uh, they're also cheering about how uh, much they um, don't believe Dr. Anthony Fauci, how much they believe that COVID-19 is a hoax, and all of that. The movie ends and concludes with the idea that Borat is actually, spoiler alert, patient zero of the COVID-19 pandemic, that actually Kazakhstan sent him to travel across the United States so that he could be the one spreading coronavirus to Americans. And end scene. Mike, what did you think of the film? Wow. So as you mentioned, uh, there was a lot in this film and, and this film was a lot. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, like so many people was um, just blown out of my seat by the, by the first Borat. You know, I, I, I can't remember another time in, in recent memory when I've, you know, literally been on the floor of the theater laughing. Um, I found myself... By theater, you mean watching on your iPad in your living room? No, no, no. In the, ori the original uh, one in 2006, when I actually saw it in a real movie theater, when that, um, when that you was know, with real thing. people there, I, I you know, remember that. Um, and, you know, it, it, um, and, you know, it may be, you know, I don't know if, I, I didn't go back and watch the original uh, when, you know, in preparation for or after this one, although I did see the original a couple of times subsequently, it never compared to the first time viewing it because of the shock and surprise of it all. But I still think, especially for that first time viewing, it may be one of the, um, this is going to be a bold statement, but maybe one of the best comedies of all time. Uh, and uh, and the, the sequel, I thought, was, um, was at, in, in a lot of ways as smart as the original, though different. Um, was in some places as funny as the original, uh, though different. They, you know, had to play on, as you mentioned, the the reality that uh, that uh, most people knew uh, who Borat was uh, and who Sasha Baron Cohen was. You know, two very recognizable recognizable actor and a recognizable character. Uh, and so, you know, there there were many scenes in which it was Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat as some other character too, um, which just as another, as a, as an aside, um, shows you the incredible talent of Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, we talked about him in our last podcast uh, in his performance on Trial of the Chicago Seven, where we hope he'll at least get nominated for an Oscar for that performance because he certainly deserves it. Um, but I think that you know a, a film like this, you know, no less shows how extraordinarily talented he is. And the scene that you were just talking about, or the the cluster of scenes, the sequence that, that you're talking about, in which he is you know living with you know QAnon or, or um, uh, coronavirus truthers. Uh, in a, you know in a bunker in Washington or cabin in Washington State uh, for uh, for several days, you know you have to kind of step back and say that that he had to have done that entirely in character, lived with these people entirely in character for for several days 
without breaking it once or it would have uh, uh, ruined the whole bit. So it just you know, shows the incredible talent of, of Sasha Baron Cohen. But the, the fact that uh, you know, the, the premise of the first film relies on his unrecognizability and this film is very much uh, lives in the reality uh, this, of, uh, of, of, of you know, what comes after that first Borat movie uh, leans very heavy, heavy on uh, Maria Bakalova's character, right? And so that's just another just incredible thing to watch is, uh, is, is this, you know, previously unknown actor uh, who, you know, just proves herself to be every bit as smart and funny, um, if not more so than, than uh, and daring um, as uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. So that was just, I think, a, a real delight to see. Um, you know, the, the first film I thought was, you know, really playing on uh, showing a side of America that, that many of us in, you know, sort of like liberal enclaves, blue states, uh, uh, you know, uh, elite centers, big cities, whatever you want to call it, um, didn't see all that much, right? That was during the Bush years uh, and, uh, you know, during, you know, kind of the, 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 the rise of uh, Fox News and that whole kind of conservative ecosystem. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, Borat going to, you know, Alabama and to, uh, uh, to rodeos and things like that, you know, were, were kind of scenes that Jesse, you and me, who have uh, led USY on wheels buses and have been to every corner of this great land of ours, um, may have met people like that and seen people like that before. But I think a lot of people were very surprised at the American underbelly. And I don't think that he was, uh, certainly not in the first movie, you know, punching down uh, at those people. I think he was just exposing the, the really uncomfortable underbelly of, of this country. So now- understanding that even 14 years ago, we live in our sheltered bubbles and right, we aren't necessarily aware of the world that one lives in, which leads to them having very different world views. Right, right. And, and now we, you know, we live in an era in which you know all of that has already been exposed in part by uh, uh, um, pieces of pop culture like Borat, uh, uh, and and by the Trump presidency all, all the more so. Um, so we already know that that exists. And so I think what this movie was really trying to, to do, uh, and Sasha Baron Cohen has said this in, you know, in subsequent interviews, um, is you know, expose how, how authoritarianism, or if you want to call it fascism, um, comes uh, and plays out in a place like America. And he does that by showing, you know, the, um, the, the conspiratorial aspects of it, the, the you know, the, the misinformation uh, echo chambers um, that feed into it, uh, the, um, the, the, the propaganda machine that plays on certain uh, imagery and, uh, and, and, and cultural assumptions and stereotypes, particularly around women uh, that, uh, that, that are a, part and parcel of it. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, on that level, um, it was um, powerful and disturbing while also being hilarious. There were definitely ways in which it did not, you know, meet the bar, hit the bar of the first film. There are ways in which just sort of as a narrative, um, you know, you can see the ways in which they, you know, they try to like string together uh, the scripted stuff with the unscripted stuff uh, that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. Uh, but, uh, but nevertheless, as kind of a, a, a commentary on this moment, um, for me, it worked. What do you think? Yeah, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is famous for his cringeworthy humor uh, with all of his characters, Borat, Bruno, Ali G. Uh, if you saw the Showtime limited series, What is America? Where he played all these different characters post-Trump's inauguration to expose the, the division uh, in, in this country. Um, it's all about being funny, but the humor is getting people to really speak their truths, truths that make us very uncomfortable. And as long as we're in on the joke, it's funny. Uh, but when we look back that this person who's, who, who's sharing their truths did not realize that they were in on the joke, did not realize that they were part of this mockumentary comedy, it's actually quite scary. You know, what stood out for me the most, uh, a lot of what he was playing on was conspiracy theories, hoaxes, you know, both that with the pandemic, uh, with 
elections and with uh, elected officials, those in power in the current administration, is really targeting social media. And Sasha Baron Cohen has been doing that a lot over the past couple of years. When you think about when Borat came out in 06, Twitter only started uh, in March of 2006. Twitter was nothing compared to what it is now. Facebook, with which Mike, both of you were, uh, you and I were on, we were early onto Facebook because our college was one of the first colleges that was invited to participate in then called the Facebook. Um, it was only for universities at that time. It, it was in its earliest stages, long before it became the social media platform for the masses, one that many use whether it's Russia or anybody else, to um, push conspiracy theories and to create unrest in our society. And he really played a lot on that. I found that especially when he was in the Pacific Northwest in Olympia, Washington, and, and you saw the things that he was saying about coronavirus and this pandemic and how people were responding. And, and you laugh and cringe. I was laughing because I was like, how are these people so stupid that, that they aren't trusting science, but cringe because that's a lot of this country. When you have media outlets that are saying you don't need to wear masks, when you have a president is saying that you should inject yourself with bleach, uh, when, when you're saying that he's actually knows how to fight this pandemic because he had coronavirus, that after a super spreader event at the White House only weeks ago, there was another super spreader event, it seems, on election nights. And um, part of the cringe na nature of it was because it's become much more real that the conspiracy theorists were um, on the, the, the fringe, right? On the forest extremes of society. But when Alex Jones is invited to the Oval Office and President Trump thanks him in Infowars for helping him get elected, those fringe websites and blogs and Facebook posts become prominent and prevalent and real. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that that's such an important thing to talk about uh, in general and, and in particularly what this movie exposes. And, and what, one thing that you didn't mention, which we should, um, is that uh, you know, both the original Borat uh, talks about, you know, deals a lot in, in anti-Semitic uh, tropes. Um, but this one uh, in particular has a, has a you know, really um, devastating scene uh, in which uh, Borat um, goes to a synagogue and meets with Holocaust survivors uh, um, as a, you know, anti-Semitic uh, caricature of a Jew trying to pose as a Jew going to the synagogue and, um, and, and you know, talking to these people, um, uh, talking to Holocaust survivors um, while spewing um, uh, anti-Semitic bile, right? And, and anti-Semitism is, you know, one of the most enduring uh, and pernicious conspiracy theories um, that, that, uh, that, that continues to exist, right? So, um, so, there, there's so much of that in, in this. And I, and I guess I, I wonder about this, Jesse, you know, because you're right that Facebook in particular um, has, uh, you know, has shown itself to be, you know, a super spreader of, of disinformation and, and, you know, conspiratorial garbage. We're, we're recording this uh, a couple of days after um, the uh, presidential election was uh, called by every major credible news outlet uh, uh, for uh, Vice President Joe Biden, now President-elect Joe Biden, and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, uh, and uh, and you know from election night uh, through today, um, there has just been a barrage of uh, of conspiratorial um, uh, nonsense and disinformation uh, about the election. That you know, as you and I were were preparing for this podcast, we you know, we were talking about you know our 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 anxiousness. Uh, about you know how even if and when uh, Joe Biden is eventually you know uh, in, inaugurated in, in January, um, that uh, that there is going to be tens of millions of people in the uh, in the country who are convinced because of what's been going on in our culture over the past few days 
uh, and, and the weeks and months leading up to the election uh, uh, that have primed the pump for this, that, that are going to be convinced um, that, the, uh, that the Democrats stole the election with fraudulent ballots. Um, it destroys the fabric of our democracy. And I, I can't stand when you know, so-called me- when, when people call out media outlets for sort of taking a side, saying that they're being partisan or subjective. Edward R. Murrow uh, famously said that one cannot accept that there are on every story two equal and logical sides to an argument. That, that doesn't, that, that's not true, that there are at times truths and there are at times lies. Uh, and we cannot say that because somebody has another opinion that their lies, their conspiracy theories should be tr- treated equally to the truth. That's right. And, you know, and, and it, what's unfortunate about the moment in which we're living is that, you know, you have one, you know, that, that truth is essentially partisan, right? So that, you know, you have, you, you can say a lot of things, some of them critical about the, you know, about the, uh, policy positions, the tactics, the language, the rhetoric, whatever that Democrats, some Democrats sometimes use and have meaningful arguments on the, on the grounds of policy, et cetera, right? But you have one political party that routinely traffics in, in disinformation, propaganda, and falsehood. Uh, and so therefore, when you, when you have, you know, and you, and you see this playing out in the media right now, um, you know, the media actually, I could say the mainstream media, at least, you know, is, is doing, I think, about as credible and, and good a job as you can do, given the circumstances. I think they've learned a lot um, over the last uh, few years and, and have been, you know, it's, it's noteworthy that the New York Times um, on Wednesday morning after the election didn't lead with the headline, Trump declares victory, Biden contests, right? Which they could have done. And maybe in 2016, they would have done, you know, had, um, uh, you know, had things played out a little differently. Uh, but well, the media but, has seen four plus years of the leader of the free world pushing these conspiracy theories. Right. That's right. Are holding him accountable. Right. And, you know, but my point is that, you know, now you have, you know, when, when, when a news outlet, you know, wants to report the straight truth of something, but there is, you know, a whole kind of political machine um, that, you know, is arguing uh, misinformation, you know, then they can say, you know, see how biased the media is. Right. And we would say, you know, it's not a bias to like say something is true and something is not true if there's some you know, empirical evidence to suggest that one thing is true and one's not. But uh, we're living in this reality in which, you know, in which truth has become uh, partisan. You know, th- that was in the movie itself, right? That, uh, you know, when, when Rudy Giuliani is being uh, interviewed, you know, he spews conspiracies about the about the coronavirus you know that it was manufactured in a lab in in china and and you know released uh in order to unleash havoc in the in uh, on the world if this had been recorded you know around now he would have i'm sure said things about how democrats were stealing the election right all sorts of things um and you know and this is a a, a prominent figure a prominent politician within within the republican party uh it um and in you know in um uh when borat infiltrates uh cpac you know you hear some of the speeches um and and you kind of see this playing out in real time it's it's scary but i guess the question that i have about facebook is and this is you know the the debate that happens around it first of all is that you know there are um positive things that you know you and i would both say that we experience from and and get out of uh facebook right especially in those early years where we used it you know for you know mostly benign uh uh, activities um you know sometimes stupid college stuff that we might now regret but but otherwise relatively benign activities it hadn't been um uh, it was uh, really used to connect students with other students. Right. And then ultimately to connect Although families with families. You could argue and, that Mark Zuckerberg had all, ulterior motives. Um, and, sure. And um, either didn't appreciate the danger, um, nor did Jack appreciate the danger of Twitter, or they were okay with it because um, they, were, they were looking to make money off of it. Right. So here's, so here's the question that, you know, that, that, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and other, you know, social media folks typically raise is, um, you know, should they uh, be, you know, what's the value of a, uh, of, 
a forum in which people, you know, have sort of unfettered access to free speech uh, versus um, the value of, you know, having some sort of traffic cop to say, you know, actually, if you introduce that idea or that kind of rhetoric, that kind of language in this context, it is like shouting fire in a crowded theater. And, well, and you know, what happens when Twitter is now posting, uh, co- you know, flagging Trump's tweets and saying that this is not true or this is not factual about the election or about COVID. Uh, and people are criticizing Twitter for, um, for squashing one's right to free speech. You know, I, I was at the ADL's Never Is Now conference in December of 2019. Uh, and at that conference, Sasha Baron Cohen gave the keynotes as he was the recipient of the ADL's International Leadership Award. And people are like, this guy, like Bullrat, who likes to make jokes about his genitalia? Like, like, like that, a guy who really, some would argue, makes anti-Semitic uh, jokes, which he argues that he's actually exposing anti-Semitism. How could he be honored with this award? And he spoke powerfully about the dangers of social media and how it is used as um, the greatest um, microphone and loudspeaker uh, amplifier of conspiracy theorists and of hatred and bigotry. He said in that speech that uh, Voltaire was right. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Uh, And the minute I heard him say that, I got chills. Um, he referred to the internet and these internet companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube as the greatest propaganda machine in history. That the algorithms, these, he said, the algorithms these platforms depend on deliberately amplify the type of content that keeps users engaged, stories that appeal to our baser instincts and that trigger outrage and fear. It's why fake news outperforms real news because studies show that lies spread faster than truth. And it's no surprise that the greatest propaganda machine in history has spread the oldest conspiracy theory in history, the lie that Jews are somehow dangerous, right? That they, that, that they spread bigotry. Uh, and if you look at CNN puts it out on Twitter every day, the top 10 most clicked on links on Facebook, and they're all by... Fox News or Dan Bugino, who's a former spokesperson of uh, the NRA uh, or Donald Trump's fan page. Uh, People want news that is out there and that is uh, seems so extreme and outrageous. And they they cling to conspiracy theory because it may uh, resonate at some subconscious level with their own bigotry. And reinforces it, right? I, I don't know. If, you know, I don't know if I would go so far as to say that people. I mean, I think people now have have an appetite for it. But I think what people want is not necessarily fake news. What people want is um, a, a simple and satisfying explanation for phenomenon that they, you know, that they find to be beyond their control. You know, that that might play to you know um, to in, you know deep seated uh, biases and um, prejudices that they that they already have uh and that um and that there's a you know seductive uh quality to um to to that kind of content right and so i think that that uh baron cohen uh points out something that's really important and really powerful there you know that um you know that that it may not have ever been facebook's intention to um you know to amplify uh, content like that, but functionally, it's all it's it's long been the case that they have amplified content like that because that's what people click on, right? And so you know they're and you know they're they're uh, by design to raise up you know the thing that you're going to click on the most, um, you, you know, and so it shows the you know, the 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 clear click responsibility, bait. clickbait, right? Um, you know, it's a, uh, but I, I, you know, so I guess the, the question that I have uh, uh, about all this is, you know, from the place of, of Jewish values, um, what is the kind of relationship between um, truth uh, and uh, uh, 
safety, uh, human dignity, uh, compassion, uh, and, uh, and, and kindness? Like, you know, are those hierarchies of values? Are they in intersecting values? What, what do you think? Yeah, what comes to mind first in which I would hold the Mark Zuckerbergs and Jack Dorsey's uh, accountable, which Sasha Baron Cohen is suggesting we do as well, is the biblical um, mandates, the biblical edict that we don't place a stumbling block before the blind. That if Facebook and Twitter are allowing um, for people to be absorbed by this clickbait, then they are responsible for people tripping over these conspiracy theories and believing them. Um, they are responsible for amplifying those conspiracy theories. Uh, so that I would say is one. The idea of truth over lies is somewhat more complicated. Um, you know, we have throughout the, the Torah, right? Within the, the Ten Commandments, it's, it's pretty clear, right? That you shouldn't bear false witness. You shall not steal. You shall not deny falsely. You, you shall not lie to, to another person, it says in, in Vayikra 19. Um, uh, Shemot uh, in chapter 23 of Exodus, it says, distance yourself from a, a lie, from a false matter. But the Talmud is very interesting, uh, specifically in Yavamo 65b, there, there's a whole conversation about how one is permitted to lie for the sake of truth, uh, for the sake of peace. And it's unclear what that means. Oftentimes the Talmud uh, concludes that uh, Devara Shalom or Derech Shalom for the sake of peace uh, really means that to save your own ass, that, that, that peace doesn't actually mean peace. It means to protect yourself and, from, from harm and that we can lie because if we lived in a world where we were under somebody else's sovereign rule, where we were the minority, um, it's okay to lie to protect ourselves because we believe that we may be in harm's way. Um, what this line is doing is actually the opposite. It's lying to cause more harm to others, not lying to prevent harm to others. Right. These are, these are lies that, you know, sow discord and, and chaos. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's one of the things that makes them, you know, so, so dangerous. And, you know, what I would, what I would add to that is that, you know, I think that probably, you know, one of the more famous teachings in, in Jewish tradition is that a person is, you know, allowed to tell a, a bride or groom on their wedding day that they, that they look handsome, they look beautiful. Um, now, you know, some people might say like, you know, to someone that's not a lie, right? Uh, to the, to their, you know, spouse to be or something like that, that may not be a lie, but, but to the person speaking it, it might very well be, but you're allowed to do it for the sake of that person's dignity. You're allowed to lie for the sake of that person's kindness or for the, for the sake of kindness, compassion toward uh, an, another person, right? right you can find so that at the second boats, 16B. Right. And so we're, what we're talking about now is exactly the opposite, right? We're talking about, you know, lies that, uh, that, that, you know, uh, that are affronts to the, the dignity and the well-being of, of other people, right? You know, so, um, you know, I, 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 you know I, I talked about this actually on uh, Yom Kippur this year um, about, you know, this really challenging environment we're in, in which, um, you know, it's, it's, it's come to be so hard for so many people to separate, um, you, you know, disinformation from truth uh, you know, fact from propaganda, uh, and um, you know, and 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 seeing, you know, and this was, you know, way back uh, in uh, in September or whenever you know, before it was October, right? When I when I was writing it in September, um, but it, but as I was writing it, you know, it just struck me how how first of all, like deeply um, systemic the the problem is, right? It's not just a matter of individuals, although it's not. Uh, it's not that this is irrelevant, right? but it's not only a matter of individuals like committing themselves to truth and valuing education more, right? That, that, you know, that, that there are, um, you know, uh, very powerful and wealthy interests at play um, in making things and keeping things exactly the way they are. And it will be hard for us to break through um, this moment without that. But the danger of this moment is, you know, you, you mentioned um, the Voltaire quote 
that Sasha Baron Cohen mentioned at the ADL gathering. You know, there's there's uh, um, another that's been uh, sitting with me. It was a title of of a book on the rise of Putin's uh, authoritarianism in Russia uh, that was called uh, "Nothing Is Real and Everything Is Possible." Right, and I think that that really kind of sums up the exact dynamic that we're talking about. That you know, if you live in a landscape in which you know nothing can be shown to be verifiably true, um, you know, and then you create a an environment in which you know people say, you know, what's the meme? Nothing matters. LOL. Right, uh, and uh, and so you know, uh, uh, anything becomes forgivable, um, anything becomes allowable, anything can become normalized, um, and and truth can become you know. Uh, the the province of what you know of the powerful person who who promulgates who promulgates it. Yeah, you know, I also spoke about truth uh, on Yom Kippur on my Kol Nidre sermon. Stop um, stealing my sermons. <laughs> and uh, really concluded that truth is subjective, right? Uh, going back 15 years when when Stephen Colbert launched the Colbert Report, his sort of parody on these conservative news broadcasts and he played on the word truthiness um but going back to the very beginning of trump's term when kellyanne conway uh, said that uh, we have alternative facts which means that i don't care what you say um chuck todd i'm going to disagree with you really I concluded the fact that that truth is subjective, that in our own faith, if we juxtapose emet and emunah, truth and belief or truth and faith means that they are not one and the same because we believe something, nobody can ever disprove our truths. So we spend all this time trying to prove somebody else that they are wrong. That's actually how we spend all this so much, way too much time in these social media platforms, trying to prove somebody else that we are right and they are wrong, but we can't because our truths are our truths and their truths are their truths. And while even though that Edward R. Murrow quote is true, right, that it's not always about both sides. It's not always about that there are equal arguments on both sides. Sometimes there are rights and there are wrongs. Uh, you can't necessarily prove somebody else of those wrongs. Well, I think that what you're pointing out there is that there's maybe a difference between fact and truth, right? And, um, you know, so I would say that- Right, fact doesn't know, equal truth. Right, exactly, right? So that, or doesn't necessarily equal truth, right? So like, you know, I would say that there are, you know, many things in the Torah that are not factual, but are nevertheless true, right? Um, uh, and true in the sense that they, you know, uh, reveal, um, uh, uh, realities about the human condition, about uh, about you know the the nature of our relationships with each other and with with the with the world, right? Um, that the stories may not be you know historically accurate, right? But I don't think that they were designed necessarily to be you know accurate portrayals of history. They were designed to communicate uh, deeper deeper truths, right? But that's again not what we're talking about here, right? What we're talking about here is something that's like. Um, that's that's meant to sell a particular narrative in order to um, perpetuate certain powerful or moneyed interests um, through the use of uh, deliberately false information, right? And that's that's sort of a different animal altogether. Um, and you know, and, and so going back to Borat, like you know, I found myself, you know, feeling a lot of compassion. For like the you know the QAnon uh, uh, survivalists in in Washington, you know because they they show themselves uh, in in the you know they have deranged ideas and are I think therefore very dangerous because of them, but they show themselves to be incredibly sweet and generous and gracious people who practice hachnasad rochim taking you know this immigrant into their homes and, and, and home and keeping him and, and housing him there for several days, you know, indefinitely. A, a white immigrant. Oh, right. Fair enough. Um, and I, you know, that, that, that thought crossed my mind too. Um, but we don't know for a fact that if Borat were brown or black, that, um, that, that they wouldn't have taken him in. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. That it may be too far-fetched to assume. But what, what I mean by this is you could see that like on some level, Folks like that are the innocent victims of, you know, the, the, this sort of um, 
authoritarianism, authoritarian machinery um, that has been, you know, built up and um, and 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 strengthened um, dangerously, especially during the last uh, four years, but really over the past, you know, couple of decades. I, I think that you know, putting this film together with the first Borat, uh, you know, I think that they're they're uh, cut from the same cloth, or they they show a kind of larger picture, like that process was already happening um, in, you know, in America had, our, I mean, maybe had happened for the, you know, decades preceding that um, uh, uh, since the rise maybe of, you know, cable news or cable TV or, you know, people trace it back to different eras. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, this, this process, you know, has been going on for some time, you know, uh, maybe we're at the apotheosis of it. And maybe we're at the end of it. I, I, I fear that we're not. But it- yeah, no, based on the results of this election um, and the aftermath where half the country um, is denying the, the, to accept the results of the election, I don't think we're-, we're Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, even before that, just the notion that more people voted for Donald Trump this time than voted for him last time. Right. That means more Americans looked at the last four years and said, yes, like that is exactly what I want more of. Yeah. Um, and so, Mike, I guess more Giuliani. Last, <laughs> my last question for you, um, what do we do with that and where do we go from, from here? You know, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's argument to the ADL is that he was exposing this bigotry and putting it out there so people are aware that it exists. Um, in some ways, what Trump did uh, was he was giving permission for people's bigotry, which they may kept on a subconscious level, and he was amplifying it. He was tweeting it. He was screaming it from the rooftops. But just because we expose it, we're only exposing it to our own bubbles that see it as bigotry and do not see it as truth. So how do we combat said bigotry, said conspiracy theory to those who um, refuse to uh, believe what I believe? You know, when I I, I passed by somebody when I was um, away um, last weekend and they were wearing a mask um, and their mask um, said that this mask is as useless as our governor, right? That they had to wear a mask because they were indoors and that's what the, the state required. But um, they were criticizing the, the elected official that was making them wear that mask. It's, and I'm there with my child who um, is immunosuppressed and I'm saying, no, you're wearing the mask so that you could save my child's life. They're, they're in a whole different world and I don't believe they will ever believe what I believe. Their truths are different than my truths. So is it better to try to amplify their false narrative? Uh, is that just embarrassing them? Is that just making fun of them? Does that do anything? Or does that, by amplifying it, reminds us that we need to amplify our voices as well? Right. So, you know, I mean, I think that that's, you know, a, a, an... Um... A question both about the movie and about the uh, about the you know larger cultural uh, issues you know so first you know the I, I suspect that you know folks in uh, red America um, if I could call it that even though you know of course we, we both know that there's no such thing as red America and blue America but um, but folks in red America might not find uh, Borat so funny like we you know we in blue America look at it you know with sort of you know, snooty and, and sneering uh, condescension. Uh, I, you know, I actually, like I said, like I, I kind of, you know, look at it with a lot of, I, I had compassion uh, in a lot of ways for the, for the folks in, in the, uh, not everybody, of course, but, but for a lot of the folks in, you know, uh, in here. Um, uh, there, there, there are others that, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to think of, like the, you know, the, the baker that is asked, um, to write on a cake, you know, Jews will not replace us with a smiley face, right? And she, without flinching, says, of course, right? So the, the, the pastor who hears uh, the Borat say that he impregnated his daughter and is trying to convince her that an abortion is not okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I think that there are, 
Um, there are, you know, really legitimate targets in here and, and you know, the whole kind of uh, theme is, is legitimate, but the, you know, the, the question is, you know, whether um, any or every individual is as um, culpable uh, in the, um, in, in the uh, environment we find ourselves is, is I think a different question. But I think that the, you know, I think that, you know, when, when I talked about this in Yom Kippur, I, I said, here's what I said. And here's what I said, you know, like this is, there's a piece of this that's not really a Yom Kippur question that may be a topic for another time. So the Yom Kippur question, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, how we engage this interpersonally, like, like what can any of us as individuals do about it? So that you first, I mean, I think that there are, and this is what I'll get to in a second, I think that there are larger, deeper, as we've alluded to in this conversation, um, systemic issues that unless we solve those, um, this problem is not going away anytime soon and is likely to get worse and more dangerous. Uh, but I do think that we can um, that that we can personally and communally, right, in the spheres in which we have more influence, we can um, insist on tr uh, on 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 fact um, and you know and truth as the um, as the playing ground of of uh, communal dialogue um, and and uh, and um, and discourse. So I think that that's first and foremost, um, and I think that that requires. Um, an investment um, in our own and and uh, and the community's education. Like I think that that um, we are doing. You know, I think that the, that on some level, right? Both the first Borat and this one is an indictment of how Americans are educated, and I think that that is true within our own communities too. And 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 personally, I just think that we um, we 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 aren't armed. Um, with with the facts to combat um, misinformation, so we're susceptible to it. So that's second, um, and the third I said was um, was justice, right? And so I think that you know creating the conditions in which there's you know that there's no want, right? That where where nobody is um, uh, displaced uh, or feeling displaced, um, where where everybody has. Uh, has, you know, opportunities uh, to get ahead and succeed, right? And I think that there, you know, this was a theme after the 2016 election. It's been shown, you know, not really to be at the core of, of what was going on in Trumpism, but it's nevertheless, I think, um, a phenomenon that has been a factor in American politics for some time that there, you know, I mean, maybe since the founding of the country is that there is a, um, uh, you know, um, uh, that there is, uh, uh, a sense of despondency uh, and uh, uh, among you know, among people in the middle class. I, you know, I'm tempted to say the white middle class, but I think it's true uh, across racial boundaries. Now, of course, right? Um, you know, black poverty is a different animal than uh, than than white poverty, and and so. Um, uh, statistically speaking, so you know, so that's something that we need to hold. But I would, but I said that that you know we can't really solve this uh, problem without a personal and communal commitment to creating a just society. So uh, and so that involves personal work, that involves you know the organizing and and, and communal work that that you and I uh, try to do quite a bit of. The, but the 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 bigger challenge, right? And and I, I worry. Um, that we have not had a had sufficient public um, energy around this issue um, is you know is uh, is identifying the ways in which you know uh, powerful interests um, benefit from this current landscape and make the systemic changes we need to uh, to be able to move away from it. You know, for just, I mean, there, there are any number of things that we can think about, right? Different regulation for, um, uh, for social media companies for a start, right? Um, you know, more aggressive regulation for social media companies for a start. Um, uh, the, you know, public public financing of elections, you know, uh, democratic reforms, you know, the kinds of which are, are contained in the, you know, the first house bill of the, of the last Congress. Um, you know, those sort of things that kind of hit at the structure, the fabric of our democracy and our institutions, um, that's got to change, right? Uh, someone once said to me that the, um, uh, that the, 
that every system is perfectly set up to get the results it's currently getting. Right? So if you want to get different results, you have to change the system. Um, and so unless we're really uh, willing to make significant structural reforms, um, it's all going to be you know, playing at the edges of something that is wider, deeper, and much more pervasive. Honor, what do you think? I don't have a good answer. Um, I think structural reforms are important, um, but I think ultimately society is divided and the more avenues there are to amplify information and share information, the more uh, divergent opinions there will be and, and, and divided we will continue to be, right? That when you, when you only had three evening news networks and that was where everybody in the world got their news for a generation, uh, there was... Uh, there was no um, suggestion that one was choosing one news network over the other. And the truth is we choose our news networks because we like the way that they're covering the news. I like listening to certain people's views because those nightly news anchors, um, they reinforce my own beliefs and my own opinions. And so I listen to, to those. So I, I think this is only going to get worse and not better. Um, we have to hold those that amplify these conspiracy theories accountable, especially social media platforms. But I think our goal and our task is not to call out people's lies because uh, I, I don't know if that gets anywhere that, because again, they believe that their um, fiction is actually truth. Our goal is to amplify our truths, to declare our truths more uh, and spread those to the world because I'm not going to convince somebody else, but I am not going to let anybody else suggest something uh, that is different than my truth um, for me, that my truths are my truths. And uh, we need to all be prepared to take a stand and, and to say what we stand for. Right. And to remember that, that ultimately, at least, you know, in, in Jewish tradition, um, you know, we believe right? that, uh, that, this, that the uh, sign, the symbol of the Holy One is truth, right? And that, you know, and that, uh, that ultimately to, you know, to know God is to know truth, to know truth is to know God. Uh, and that, you know, that, that above all else, like that's what we prize and that's what we prioritize and that's what we um, that, that we strive for, you know, may not mean that we break the fever, um, but at the very least, we might not become infected by it. Well, we went to some uh, really serious places with this conversation about Borat's subsequent movie film. We did. I thought it was all going to be jokes about my wife. <laughs> my wife. Um, but, very nice. Uh, thank great you, success. I think this podcast was a great success. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for, for joining us in the conversation. As Mike said, that Borat 2 uh, is streaming now on Amazon Prime. And we look forward to uh, continuing the conversation next time. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.